Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. Please keep going. What's the oh, rest of that Oh, hold on, hold on. I have an intro. Are you guys ready? Uh, yeah. No. I know that you also have an intro, I'm sure, but. <laughs> oh, pardon oh. me. I had a spasmodic inhalation with closure of the glottis accompanied by a peculiar sound. Actually, if you wanted the metaphor to be accurate, you would be talking about a fart. M- multiple farts. Several Shh. farts in a row. <laughs> so if I'm to understand you correctly, Xander, you think a fart is a repeat in time, like something that you ate is now coming out later? Yeah, and then you revisit it again through smell. <laughs> I get it now. Time is a series of farts. Mm-hmm. The Mannheim Theory. That's the podcast. Thank you for coming, everybody. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Make sure to rate us and review us on <laughs> iTunes. Five stars. We'll be right back after this break. I don't actually know if that's the bodily function that data was referring oh, to. Oh yeah, that's why they cut him off cuz fart jokes. It has to be. They cut him off because they don't have an answer to the rest of his sentence. Good. Cuz there, okay. there is no bodily function that is like oh. a repeat, right? Yeah. They didn't have Say an that answer again. to that. You're freezing, Jake Michaels. I am. Yeah. Okay. It's not your again. fault. Maybe you're caught in a time fart. Oh, it says your internet connection is unstable. Plug oh, it no. into the wall, Jake. If the conversion rate is one to one. <laughs> one to one, Jake. One I shouldn't to have put, one. I put so much antimatter in my router this morning. <laughs> oh, no. Did you also put matter in it? Wait, which one of you one did it? One? Jake one, Jake two, or Jake three? <laughs> we did. I did. I did. I did. <laughs> second one. Go for the second one. Always the middle. Which one of you is holding my hat? <laughs> That's right. It's We'll Always Have Paris, the time paradox slash romantic episode of season one. My two favorite genres. Yeah, this was a strange one. I both really liked it and really was confused by it. I'm wondering, this is sort of the first delve into it for this series. Becca, are you into time shenanigans or are you sick of it yet? I'm a, I'm a freak for time shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me too. Really? Yeah. Oh, I love time shenanigans. The turbo lift scene mm-hmm. was outstanding. The acting. Yeah. Yeah, and I love that different versions of them continued the conversation. That was right. brilliant. But it's also so so amazing to us that we can be like, look at this acting that they did. They did the exact same scene twice in a row <laughs> as if they weren't spending all day doing it over and over again. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when you the hard part about doing a scene is not doing it the exact same intonation again. Right. <laughs> like right. breaking it up is what's more difficult. Yeah. <laughs> right. So in this episode, um, we'll always have Paris. Captain Picard encounters a woman from his past after her scientist husband's experiments begin to unravel the fabric of time. Right. And we finally get French representation. We've got <laughs> fencing. We've got cheese. We've got wine. A little cafe. <laughs> we've got a waiter who is... Uh, inordinately polite to Which his is customer. Not <laughs> a hallmark of all French culture. <laughs> My people are represented. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're French. Yeah. <laughs> Genere. Yeah. Uh, during the beginning scene, which is Picard fencing <laughs> with uh, Lieutenant Dean, we're, uh, did you love the French in there, such as en garde? En garde. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, 
cliche. <laughs> also, I I tried my hardest to look. I bet that was Patrick Stewart, and it wasn't a, a stunt. Oh, double. it was him. I could tell. And oh, no one looks good in fencing. I mean, maybe not, because whoever it was did not look good in these fencing sweatpants. The sparkle and, like, spandex. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It did have a little shimmer to it. Um, yeah. Really ugly. There's a lot of beautiful, beautiful costume design in this episode, and fencing clothes. Yuck. <laughs> yeah. The fe- and there's this weird like cod piece thing that happens that I'm oh, sure that's it was my supposed to be a part. cup. <laughs> no, you have to have the cod piece in every fencing homage I've ever seen in all of media. When that's you true. get to the bridge, we see that Picard's like that cod piece actually comes up behind his butt too, and actually goes to support. I think it's like the vest that he's wearing up front, like the guard. Well, maybe? you see, you must protect the taint. Right. It looks like the Goblin King is trying to fence. <laughs> Anybody who gets touched in the taint during fencing is a retired from the sport entirely, it's right? Automatic yeah. DQ forever. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to done. <laughs> I don't know where you watch um, Star Trek, but I watch it on Amazon Prime lately. Oh. And I just have to shout out. Why? um, They just got it through the CBS, I think. Yeah, they've had it for a while. I thought we were all doing Netflix, so I feel a little betrayed. I used to, but my TV, for some reason, uh, widens out uh, the TNG episodes, so they're stretched because they were were in kind of VHS slash TV Yeah, it's not doing that on a computer. I no. think it's no. It does it correctly on most Netflix things, but my TV has a built-in app that just doesn't like uh, that. So. Don't you love when your TV thinks it's really imperative that they know the yeah. best viewing options, and they're going to change <laughs> the input, and they're going to give you that extra frame rate because you know what? I want all media to look like a a, a midday football game. Please just give me extra frames. Just blast me with LCD. <laughs> the reason I bring up Amazon is because uh, they have a little feature called X-ray, and oh, if yeah. you hover over it, it shows um, it shows like the actors' profile that are in the scene. It shows little trivia and stuff. But actually, I'm going to show you both a screenshot here, which I'll put in the show notes as well, of the poor actor who plays uh, Lieutenant Dean. His headshot is a snapshot from this episode that they've <laughs> used, and it's just an awful photo. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a flattering scene either. Not at all. They were His sweaty. His hair is, yeah. He was sweatier. Like, he, yeah, oh, he was dunked. Like, right. <laughs> and Patrick Stewart is, like, equally wet. He just doesn't have the hair. No, he's got yeah. the sheen is what yeah. he's got. He yeah. looks cool. Well, that's what makes him a captain. Um, well, during the fencing scene, we have a very disturbing time loop. We learn that the technique of a desperate man is repeated twice. It's and a good line, though. It deserved to be re- repeated twice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And even when Dean said, Captain, what was that? I kind of expected Picard to go, the technique of a desperate man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you not hear me? <laughs> this is when the music really kicked in this episode. I don't know if you guys noticed, but the music was really awesome in this episode. I will send I noticed... a... Oh, is that why I got so emotional at so many places? <laughs> there was also like a lack of music at certain points. It was very mm. quiet. At I think because the music was so stirring at other points... The yeah. quiet, like, shit moments, I was like, there's something it, missing. There was a lot of synth use, as there always is in this first season, but a lot of, like, little pan flutes as well, and a lot of different, <gasps> Oh, like, something very important about when we first go to France in the holodeck, I gotta tell you about. Um, so there's this guy standing behind the maitre d', <laughs> yeah. and he is playing... Oh, yeah. 
He is playing a windpipe made out of the Austin Powers penis pumps that yep. he gently strokes while wearing his pink silk shirt. Mm-hmm. And yes. it's very relaxing and beautiful, and I'd love to know more about this instrument made well, of, of strokable penises. Traditionally, it was known as the French bong keyboard, um, and then yeah. they added no. the Cochrane's later. <laughs> Uh, just to give that sense of motion, it really helped the sound that was being projected forward. Le cockring de bong. I didn't hear bong. I didn't hear the G, and I thought you were saying like a real French word. I mm. believe that this is a real instrument for a second. I thought yeah. like the French bong. No, it's like gerbil tubes taped to a cardboard <laughs> slab. <laughs> that he gently strokes. Yeah. It's very sensual. It is. And then this is what what the beauty of the holodeck is, is that you can forgive any acting choice of like, they're computer programs. They're, someone was having a quirky day in the programming suite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to do, I don't know why, I really wanted to know the exact year. So that was Paris in 2342, if we're to understand that we're getting there. Uh, season one all takes place in 2364. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. got a way to go. Uh, also, the fashion of uh, some some of these NPCs are great. This confusing bra situation that happened. It's like, oh, her strap kind of fell down. No, that's on purpose. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to remind people, the the reason he goes to the holodeck, we're going to find out later about a, a relationship when he just left. He Casablanca out of there. And... <laughs> uh, <laughs> And um, it's recreated with the NPCs in the holodeck, and uh, a, a woman and her friend look incredible in these 2300 outfits. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of exposed belly and exposed back, and right. really cute. I would wear these outfits today. So. And it's springtime in Paris. Why uh, wouldn't you? Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, we go there partially because we learn that uh, there's like a message from a Dr. Paul Mannheim who's mm-hmm. uh, having some trouble, and it's not really clear what that trouble is. Um, I remember it, uh, on the bridge, Riker says, you know, who is he? Uh, knowing that Picard clearly knows something about him, and Picard goes, Mr. Data, which is another example of like, we need to so show good. that Data knows things, so let's go uh, over to Data for exposition train. Yeah, and I put down d- that Mr. Data was the hey Google of <laughs> the bridge. It just reminds me of like of those tropes kind of that come from Galaxy Quest 2 of yeah. just like looking back at this show, just being like, hey, character who does this thing, do your thing. Mm-hmm. Becca, have you seen Galaxy Quest? Only like a hundred times. Oh, okay. Um, I love it. So not enough? Does it make yeah. more sense? I wonder what it what it'll seem like after having seen all of this. I mean, it'll- I did grow up watching this show. I just was a kid, so I yeah. had those, you know, tropes to call on. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just the reason this is fun is because I'm revisiting and digging deep. Yeah. Uh, the things that were just hazy memories. Now, I thought what was really interesting, as you're saying about Picard avoiding, is that. I've been dealing with this a lot in therapy. Sometimes you get stuck in an age in some reaction that you're having. So this is his 20-year-old self being like suppressing those feelings of the fear that he felt then. And the emotion that he feels for this woman is all coming back. So him just saying... I can't, I can't, I can't engage. If you it's will. funny because he's pr- he's probably emotionally beyond this now, but being back in this environment has brought him back to that kind of 
mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that Crusher addresses later when it, it almost is the first time it's explicitly called out that they have feelings for each other mm-hmm. because uh, Deanna Troy goes to talk to Crusher later in the episode and Crusher says, I can't do anything about how he's feeling about this ghost on the ship. And Deanna's like, but she's not a ghost. She's a human. Yeah. And, and Crusher says, uh, no, but the ghost is what he sees when he looks at her, which is so interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think... I, I love that scene too, or, or their their acknowledgement or lack of acknowledgement about the feelings, because it seems like something that maybe Deanna sort of picked up on, and that Crusher and her have talked about in sessions. But it's not I'm getting a ex- feeling of yeah. boning. Someone on Is this it? ship wants to bone someone um, else in this very room. Horny. Is, is yeah. horny? Does that mean anything? Poor to Troy. Anybody? Like most, most of the horny. crew is probably really horny. So most of her sessions are probably about boning, right? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. it's just like uh, what is it? Mary fuck kill sessions. <laughs> Except it's just fuck 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 fuck. <laughs> um, she just got a board and you just put a magnet on it. Mary yeah. fuck regret. That's the whole session. Right. Um, no, I think that the, this ties into also the the theme of time that's happening uh, with the time shenanigans you know Mm. how how can this um woman from picard's specific past be showing up right now but it's because her husband was were doing time shenanigans maybe something affected her that called him here from the past so he's feeling it on a, a larger scale or some sort of supernatural reason but i do love that this is a very human trait that we see with picard because so far we've got he's french and he doesn't like kids. That's it. <laughs> and now we're like, oh, he did have relationships. He had feelings. He gave something up to be a captain. He's not just, you know, this, oh, besides the stargazer or whatever. You know, it, it, we, he needed a bit more humanization, and I thought that this was a good way to do it. There was a bit of, like, she is just a vehicle for his story, but... You know, whatever. Oh, I've got so many thoughts about Janice. I love her. Um, We get some new stuff from Picard. Honestly, my favorite scene uh, I've ever seen in in the season so far are are him in this episode. And one of them is when he's reminiscing with the NPC the first time on the holodeck. And he starts to apologize on behalf of this NPC waiting for someone else to come. And he's saying, well, maybe he was scared. Maybe he didn't want to say goodbye. Maybe he thought that you would pull him into this life that he he didn't know if he wanted to be tethered down. He wants to be a starship captain. And, and then we find out that uh, later that it was he was going to leave the next day and this was their last meeting their goodbye that they never get, got to have because he was too afraid but then he cuts it off and he says enough of this self indulgence and storms out and that is so telling of what he does with his emotions especially mm-hmm. when he also talks to Deanna Troy earlier mm-hmm. and she's like you had a feeling and he's like nope Nope. nope. <laughs> and she calls him out. She's like, I know what you do. You suppress emotions. This is not good. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it? He's like, we can talk about it here. She's like, you don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. He's like, give me therapy in one word. Go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he he didn't even necessarily deny it. He just said, right. get to the point. As if, you know, her point wasn't obvious, which is like, hey, you should work through this a little yeah. bit. But she had to point it out to him. It's like, look, you need to take two hours and kind of address the situation. Um, before we leave the cafe, 
day artiste, right. I have to say I went on a little bit of a uh, rabbit hole down Memory Alpha, which uh, we've mentioned what Memory Alpha is on the show before. It's the it's the fan made wiki for Star Trek, but <laughs> there's some extensive notes on this stuff, and they actually got a hold of the menu for the Cafe des Artistes because it was in a book, they like a production clear, right? book in the art department. Yeah, that that clear menu, but they actually wrote it out in a book, and there's <laughs> there's actually some pretty great menu items in French. <laughs> Oh really? Can you read French, uh, Xander? No. Okay. Well, I'll tell <laughs> you, you some call of the. Just tra- when you're asking. I almost did. Yeah. Having to do with French. Monsieur I can say that in French. No. <laughs> the menu, la menu, uh, includes. Oh, that means menu. Thank you. Uh, includes uh, croissants de lithium, which are dilithium <laughs> croissants, croissants with cream those. cheese and fresh tomatoes. There's tribbles in a blanket, which are three small young tribbles sautéed with hot butter served in wrapped bread. Oh, my God. Don't there's, eat tribbles. There's Klingon targ with ice cream, a small targ with vanilla ice cream served with a dish of the day and fish served with binar fries and flakes. Why binar fries? <laughs> um, there are is, they made by binars or are they made of binars? There's chavar- I Probably of. Same thing with oh targ God. ice cream. Chavaro avec sauce brune, which is horse served with brown sauce, a large piece of horse of 38 years old made with wonderful brown sauce on a small stone dish. I don't know what that's a reference to. Uh-huh. There's also John John Cougar Mellencamp, not John, <laughs> John. It's a flank of cougar captured by 10 aquanauts with fresh coffee. Served why is cougars caught by aquanauts? <laughs> they spend a whole day in the writer's room coming up with this menu. The caption for this on Memory Alpha, or actually from the book that it was published in, says, uh, what does it say? It says, the menu from the small Parisian restaurant, um, clearly the strain of producing hundreds of graphics for each episode was beginning to take its toll <laughs> on the art department. But I mean, this doesn't seem like a strain thing. This seems like they were having fun. Yeah. Yeah, they were loving their job. Mm-hmm. That was some unhappy nerd that was like, well, clearly they were yeah. taking it seriously yeah, they're enough. They're miserable You lives. can't yeah. eat a tribble. It's hair will get stuck in your esophagus. That's true. It's <laughs> supposed to be cute and purry. You defer it. <laughs> There's nothing you there. You defer it. <laughs> Good point. There's just an interesting amount of detail on Memory Alpha, and I invite you all to go down the old rabbit hole. That's fantastic. So continuing forward, uh, we Picard leaves. He goes back to the bridge where Riker mentions the the time anomaly, I guess. Uh, Don't erase my culture. It's deja vu. Thank you. (laughs) We're getting French again, even though I can't read or write. Do they say deja vu in this? They sure do. Okay, good. Jordy does. Yeah, which really is what they should be using in terms of this rather than hiccup, I suppose. Yeah. Or, I mean, time or fart. fart's pretty good. Or time fart, yeah. It, then my second digression is the word hiccup, because if you can believe it, Memory Alpha has a listing for hiccup. And I don't know how I knew this. It's because I was looking oh. on the Memory Alpha it's clickable. episode. Right. And so if it's clickable, it has an entry. And there are there's actually a several references to hiccups in different episodes, and they've for some reason put it in an article in Memory Alpha. Well, because, I mean, this is not the first time that we'll get into time shenanigans, and here we go. They don't make sense. <laughs> so we're trying to codify and make things make sense when they're mm-hmm. all full of plot holes because mm-hmm. time shenanigans is a plot hole by definition. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's so hard in all of media. Uh, mm-hmm. Back to the Future being the worst offender. Right. <laughs> How so? Uh, you're not going to, par- you're either existing or not existing. You're not partially translucent. <laughs> well, it, it's Schrodinger's po- prom. <laughs> Schrodinger's prom (laughs) is uh, the best name ever. 
<laughs> uh, we travel and find actually there's like a relay of coordinates to get to where Paul Man Paul Mannheim is hiding Mannheim. out. Mannheim. Um, he's very Picard's very excited for the force field to drop, um, which uh, we understand why. It's because when he gets to sick bay, it's because the lady's involved. Uh, and, we had a feeling when he didn't say his name when hailing them. It's yeah. the captain of the Enterprise. Right? No, I didn't. I is... didn't notice that. Oh, really? No. It's, it's uh, I am Captain. The captain of the Enterprise. Oh. Yeah. And even Data get, or Jordy or someone, they give looks to each other. Oh, I, think oh, it was I missed Riker that. And Data. That's, yeah. that's probably why I was like, I literally said, oh, when he got to the sick bay, because I didn't see that coming. And I was mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, now it clicks a little bit. Yeah, two people on the ship left and they need to be rescued. Uh, may I say that this woman's disembodied voice is way better at knowing her ship when uh, I don't think that was her department than that Onarian captain tweaker yeah. yoked yeah. up on Felicium. <laughs> Didn't even know know what an engine coil was. (laughs) She's She's also uh, following the uh, 1970s rule of sci-fi of no bras, which is great. I think this outfit looks fantastic. (laughs) I thought that she had a bra, but they had done some weird magic because later in the scene you see a bra strap like right through her armpit. Maybe it was I think there's bra magic happening. That's true. Either way, I'm a fan. Same cut of outfit, except hers is baby blue marbled. Uh, it's kind of like this guy. Uh, same cut as um, the woman who was on the holodeck who was the friend of the the NPC. Right. So Francine. this woman, I was so in love immediately. She's amazing. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go look up who this is. Oh, oh you looked her yeah. up? Uh, and guess know. what? Janice is not just some actress. Janice is Michelle Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas. Mm-hmm. Wait. Okay, the, well, the you're not band? amazed. I guess the you band? knew this. The Mamas I guess and the Papas? Ma- the Mamas and the Papas. Like there Mama were two Cass. women. She's not Mama Cass. She's, She's the, the other, other one. one. Right. Well, obviously, because Mama Cass died. <laughs> yeah, and a larger woman. Yeah. Curvier. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's Michelle Phillips. She was good. She, she had was she good. scenes. Incredible. Their scenes together were electric. Ooh. Now I'm California dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, I'm going to I'm going to I'll be a little bit of a, a differentiation here. I thought they were both incredible individually, but I didn't like I didn't fight quite find the chemistry with them. Like I think they both individually were Are you blind? Were, <laughs> I, I appreciated the restrained chemistry, especially mm-hmm. of that time period. I feel like in the 80s and the 90s, there was this push of like masculinity and then femininity of like giant hair. Oh, I'm in trouble. And this was very much two adults coming in, like, come in, tell me the truth. No, wait, tell me a lie. Then tell me the truth. Like, I love that. I love that back and forth. Oh, can we talk about that exchange specifically? <laughs> uh, and let's just relive it. Let's see. Uh, why didn't you come? I was afraid. No. You're supposed to lie to me. Right. Uh, It rained that day. I I thought it was Wednesday. It was Tuesday. (laughs) So Here's the thing is that um, we going back to Picard going on the holodeck trying to work through his emotions. Instead of talking to a counselor, he does like he's going to work it out himself. He's programmed this. uh, Even though he says it from the computer, you can assume that he's done something like this before. Uh, because there's a specific NPC that's just his situation. And he knows that it doesn't help because replaying your memories and trying to find out the outcome doesn't work. You have to talk to the other person. You have to have this communication. Mm-hmm. And you can go through the pleasantries of, like, let's be nice and, and kind to each other for our, our 
like for our feelings but at the end of the day you need to work through it because you need to hear the other person say their reason and you need to listen and hear it back yeah that scene in the um observ- observation lounge is that what yeah. that is called um mm-hmm. that i agree becca that was a scene to show their chemistry like that was the Ooh. one i was like oh now i get that they have a rapport but before that it's just them talking about how much they liked each other previously it's That's another true. symptom of season one where they're just explaining that they liked each other as opposed to showing what they like about each other he says to her very explicitly he's like you're wonderful or, or some mm-hmm. some other similar word and it's like yeah why is she wonderful to you like i get that she's attracted and i michelle get you're attracted phillips to is her. a magical unicorn <laughs> Well, she also, at that moment, she had said something like she sees through his exterior hard guy thing that he's had to have mm-hmm. up for so long mm-hmm. being a captain. Great. She then sees- she's, I hope she, she should demonstrate that in some yeah. way. She should no, like point out one of those things in front of the crew or something like that and be like, oh, this woman really does know Picard. Yeah. I love that. As you were saying, she's not a damsel in distress, but she'll, she'll play that card. And when she first sees them, she says... Who else would have charged to my rescue? Right. And I thought that the chemistry from that moment onward was palpable. And it was a lot coming from her because Patrick Stewart, love him. Romance is not his thing. Sure. Uh, And, you know, he's strong and he's brave and he can do it with the right person. But um, (laughs) she was coming hard and it was there for me. She had this twinkle in her eye. Plus, I mean, uh, what's his nuts? Mannheim was not a catch. (laughs) <laughs> he's not the greatest I mean it, more of he just didn't pay attention to her and he was like a shitty person and then continued to he, be a shitty person yeah when he woke up he said my life in a way yeah. that was so Borat like yeah. I, also I when uh, Picard introduced himself to him uh, he pauses he's like Picard the same Picard it's like oh they've had this conversation in their marriage several times you know yeah. he screamed out why don't you just go marry John Luke and then <laughs> later on when when he wakes up again Picard walks in and he goes where's my wife and says that's the first thing that he says he's like you were probably with her sir she's just off camera calm and down and she was she's right like, here just... no one spoke to her I know <laughs> that was an it's odd like, scene too you can't ask anyone you have to talk to the captain where is she she's right there yeah, so she's the one that got away, and I, I, I like that element of the story. Uh, so we, Mannheim wakes up. Um, th- he explains a little bit of what's happened, which is that he's running these experiments, but things went wrong, and now there's like a rip in space-time. He created a doorway, a window. He has v- uh, several words for this analogy <laughs> of an opening into space-time. It's the uh, anus that the time parts <laughs> come through. <laughs> oh, right, the crack. Yeah. <laughs> One interesting thing was what uh, Crusher, after he passes back out again, Crusher's examining him, and she says something about, like, I wish I could talk to you, Professor Mannheim. I thought it was like a moment of swinger couple <laughs> oh. swapping. You what? know, it's like, let's get that energy of, like, ooh, well, maybe Crusher needs to maybe flirt with this guy. That's not going to work in the story. So she'll just say a thing. It felt like to me it was like an admiration thing of like, oh, we're trying to build up this character as more mysterious than he has been led up to be because we haven't really established him very much. We've just established the mystery a little. Mm. So I think it's trying to build him up. Well, well, I looked it up and I realized, oh, so this episode was filmed or was uh, made during the writer's strike of 88. 
So for those of you that don't know, the Writers Guild strike uh, in 1988, a bunch of TV writers stopped working. So the producers and directors had to kind of complete the script. The script was actually only written over five days, and it was finalized a week before the episode was filmed. The writer's strike caused further issues when it was discovered during filming that the scene where Data was to fix the time distortions hadn't been completed. (laughs) Somehow they got to filming without having a scene done, the one that's kind of (laughs) crucial to resolving the plot. So what I'm thinking is, is like different different parts of this were kind of patched together. That's why there's some inconsistencies in terms of like Mannheim wakes up and explains things, then he passes out again. <laughs> like, yeah, all these weird. Honestly, timings. didn't bother me. I thought this episode was excellent. It was pretty and solid. And he woke up and passed back out because he had to tell us he was existing in two realities at once. Yeah, he had crossed over to the yeah. other side. I'm. I was not disappointed at all. Honestly, who needs these writers? Ooh, I'm just kidding. They wrote the whole structure of this. <laughs> Dear God. Um, I took the Beverly as like a scientific admiration of like this guy mm-hmm. found yeah. out some time science that is a mystery all over, and yes. so it's a more of. I wish I could pick your brain as a scientist rather than a- any romantic thing. Yeah, that's the way I took it, too. That's and how then... it starts, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, Troy comes in shortly after with her. Man, this was the most Arnold Schwarzenegger her accent has been yet, which is like, <laughs> I wanted to see how I was doing. <laughs> I wrote a lot of notes on her accent today because yeah. it's yeah. it's so the, the hardest part of an accent to me is recreating it and the way that you jump back into it is you listen to real samples of people from that real place. She's doing an accent from nowhere that no one else has ever done. She only has herself as a reference. Yep. I can't I can only imagine she took extensive notes herself, made a whole bible for herself of how to say these things cuz how else do you even practice that? It you wing Marina it. Sir, Sir Tiss mm-hmm. is incredible, is what I'm trying to say. It's the truth. And so they have a they have a scene that I was like, maybe this will pack the be- pass the Bechtel test, but they're mostly talking about Picard's relationship. So I no, had I that didn't. thought too. All <laughs> yeah. of them that were close, they were talking about their yeah. men. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's see. Uh, I have written in my notes, and I think you guys have seen this: is that uh, Janice confronts Picard, Troy confronts Crusher, Manheim confronts Picard, Data confronts Lasers. Like, yeah. there's just so much <laughs> confrontation that happens. And Data dives from lasers yet again. (laughs) My favorite scenes are always just Data jumping out of lasers way. I forgot to mention like the really fun time loop that happens because as Becca mentioned being a freak for time travel stuff, Mm. me too. And that, that turbo lift scene was fantastic. Like, uh, like I said, them going back and forth and actually we switched perspectives to a different time frame than when we started. Yes. And then we still continue as if that time frame is our episode, which it is because it's all part of a continuum. It's like, what a brilliant way to show that. Yeah. Well, also, we, we introduce um, some transporter shenanigans of like we get to see a transporter mm-hmm. malfunction in action for the first time mm-hmm. before we didn't get to see that sort of flickering type of thing. Uh, and also raises questions of like which ones survived. Did any of them beam down? And now you know that we can. Uh, find why out is this later. child the one transporting them? There was like a very yeah, young the chief. new chief of engineering. Well, there chief are transporter chiefs, uh, and there's there's like the one chief of engineering, but the title chief can be given to someone who is unlisted, so they wouldn't have a rank like an ensign or lieutenant. Okay, They're, chief. Yeah. I have a third digression because uh, Data estimates that the next time distortion will occur in 28 minutes and 47 seconds. And for some reason, I popped up again onto Amazon's trivia thing, and it says 47 reference. I was like, 47 reference? What? 
what is a 47 reference? Well, I looked it up. 42. Apparently, the number yeah. 47 occurs a lot in Star Trek. Did you guys know this? Or is it Just something fun to like say. The, the room number? There's, uh, I'll put a link to it in the description as well as our chat right now. But 47 is an inside joke amongst TNG writers that they try to include it in a bunch of things. And it actually got passed on to other uh, Star Trek series. So to explain it in a nutshell, uh, one of the writers, Joe Minoski, uh, attended Pomona College in California, where there's a club right. called the Forty Seven Society, and they have a, they have a claim that the a mathematical proof that all numbers are equal to forty seven, and the number forty seven occurs with greater frequency in nature than other numbers. Seventy four also makes frequent appearances as well. Fun. So they oh. started including the number 47 to a bunch of things, and there's actually a whole Memory Alpha listing of every time it's mentioned. I in, followed in the link, and my 42 joke is represented here. It's it? when asked about the significance. Uh, Rick Berman joked, 47 is 42 corrected for inflation, <laughs> referring, of course, to the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything according to the Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Right. Wow. So keep your ears open for 47s when watching TNG. Okay, but also, there's since we're in time shenanigans, there's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, mm, the number 47 occurs very often, and then you put the number 47 in media, it's going to occur more often. <laughs> I think yeah. the club's a joke. I don't know yeah. how honest it is, but I love that they are making it reality. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, you can. I, I would imagine, especially sitting down to write a script you need like random numbers like a 555 for a, a, an american phone number there are these like tropes that would have to show up it's funny how like when i'm writing and i have to produce a number for something it's always like oh that number feels too cliche How do right I, uh, or like when should you're be trying odd to think, or even when you're trying to think of a phrase such as a stitch in time saves nine <laughs> and you're wondering why nine why a stitch what does this even mean <laughs> And I went on a tangent Did and you? I looked up I the origin of this would. phrase. Okay, Good. from phrases.org.uk, a <laughs> stitch in time is simply the prompt sewing of a small hole or a tear in a piece of material so that it's saving the need for more stitching at a later date when the hole has become larger. Uh, it's referring to actual stitches in sewing. But what's so if you, if you sew up the hole in your pants now, it will keep it from getting bigger. But does it, it say makes nine so much minutes? more sense. Yeah, what's the nine part? No, nine stitches. Not, oh, oh, literal nine, nine stitches. stitches. Yes, yes. So uh, why nine is still unclear, but it does rhyme. So I guess it is clear. So is the idea <laughs> you would add a stitch a day to, to avoid nine stitches at once? You do one now to save doing nine in that same spot with a bigger hole later because you didn't deal with the hole when it was small. Oh hey, look! That's that's what Picard's dealing with. Yeah. Emotionally. Oh my God! Yes, he's stitching up so many emotional stitches. But I'm and referring to eight. the scene. <laughs> eight of them. Uh, and I'm referring to the scene where Picard decides just Data is going to go handle uh, this whole time butt crack. Now it sounds like a production decision of like, crap, we don't have this scene written. We'll just have one actor go in there and jump around a bit. Who's really good at jumping? Uh, oh, Data. Data, uh, yeah. obviously. I was like, they, they can only film so many actors multiple times because they had to yeah. do multiple iterations. It's like, let's just make it one guy. I love it. Well, yeah. Um, and 
what did he say? Uh, oh, when Picard tells him that he's going to send just Data, Data goes, I understand, because after all, I'm a machine and am dispensable. Right. <laughs> he's like, no, Wrong. no, 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 I didn't mean that. Maybe a little. I love that also, correction by Picard. He's like, no, 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 no. It's it, indispensable. Indispensable, yeah. You just yeah, know your shit, sweet. so I need you down there. <laughs> well, and, and his point was valid. You're the only one that doesn't freak out and understands what's happening immediately instead of being like oh my god there's two of me everyone would have freaked out and no one would have done that correctly except for data (laughs) kept his cool in a way nobody else could and i loved when he explains that he sees time as a constant and humans see it as flexible and this is the first time we get uh, a super super cliche phrase which is time flies when you're having fun that prompts the stitches thing yep and it sure does it's interesting that androids of course they process every second in the same way yeah we've i think examined this aspect of data in the past too whenever there has been sort of time shenanigans or the like um i think it was with wesley and the the helper whatever it was they they like elongate the time and relativity and stuff and data is like i have an internal clock and so my clock does not match the ship's clock right this is how i experience time type of thing so we can find the inconsistencies so I like that they included that and, and used it as a, a, an advantage. It was a feature, not a bug. <laughs> yeah. I'm, where's the show Bible for all this information? <laughs> right. Definitely keeping track of somewhere. Yeah. You can't. It's time shenanigans. Time shenanigans. <laughs> so Data goes down to the planet. He dodges some lasers and takes out the security system, manages Which to get... they forgot to mention. Just some deadly lasers that they're like, oh, we forgot to mention that <laughs> yeah. part of the security it's system. It's not that he forgot to mention some code. As he mentioned, he forgot to mention lethal weapons. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, but it was protected by some, what are those, fluorescent light bulbs that yes. opened part of the way. <laughs> yeah. You know, he could have really, like, broken up his hands if he, like, tried to rush through that. So I'm glad he I justified that so fast in my mind. I'm like, well, they're probably some sort of field emitter. And that's just what they look <laughs> yeah. like. In my mind, yeah. I associated fluorescent bulbs because that's what I know. Yeah. 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 But it's yeah, still yeah. a very cool effect to have them it open was... in opposite ways. And I love the fact that they didn't let him open them all the way. Yeah. Yeah. So he had to maneuver through them. The dungeon master of me was like, ooh, so that's going to take a full action to get through. So if yeah. he has to hurry, he can't just use his movement speed. But also as like an escape room enthusiast, cool idea. Yeah. Gotta get broken yeah. right away. Oh, yeah. People are going to unscrew those bulbs in a heartbeat. Well, so they managed on the day of filming, I guess, to figure out how to end that scene because uh, Data just throws some antimatter at the right time. Uh, and sees three of himself, but picks out which of him is the correct one. We don't really know how. Me. He just does. And then the likelihood solved. is the middle. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of extreme close-ups. Uh, we really get to see the makeup in the pores. Yeah, but they did a great job, I thought, with the green screen in terms of making them all appear. Like, it, it was still really convincing. Well, the turbolift scene was the same way. I thought the yeah. split was, like, legit looking. I think we are really? also seeing an enhanced version, which we've talked about before. I don't know <laughs> for sure, but this, especially some of the effects in the lab, that was like, this looks a little too clean. Did either of you mm. notice the two seconds of unupdated footage? No. It was like, there's literally two seconds that was missing when they remastered this. It's a shot of Riker during the hiccup scene. If you go mm. back and look at it, you'll see it's much grainier and it kind of looks like old oh! film. I did see that, mm-hmm. and I thought that maybe it was just the shot, and they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't find the footage to remaster it. Oh. Just two seconds is all they lacked. I did notice wow. that. I just thought they used a different camera or something, mm-hmm. and it didn't. It came out differently. 
Fun There's also, snippet. speaking of angles, this was, I think, the first time that we saw this shot of the ceiling of the bridge. Because uh, we get this, like, up-the-nose shot of Picard, but I think it was to show that sort of space ceiling uh, that we haven't really seen before. Yeah, it's like oh, a, it's got I, a skylight, or I mean, a star, yeah. a space light? What do you call that? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Not a skylight. moon roof. Moon roof. <laughs> a planet roof? Nebula roof? I totally missed that. I gotta go back and look for it. It's one of the last shots. So, pretty much, Data f- fixes it, is is what I resolved. <laughs> Mannheim and his, uh, Janice, Paul and Janice, end up staying together. I have a lot of thoughts, because I'm a really big fan of the movie Casablanca. Okay, so yeah. Can oh, okay. we talk about the, the analogy the allegory the metaphor of Casablanca yeah yeah it's an analogy okay so uh at the end there's this scene where Picard and and Janice meet and they finally get resolution they finally get closure and she says we'll always have Paris now in the movie Casablanca what happens at the end is is um what's our boy Rick he Mm -hmm. uh he says oh Richard (sighs) oh is that Oh yeah, oh, I guess Richard, that's what look the at that plane. I've got to go. <laughs> Are you playing a clip from Casablanca? Because that sounds exactly <laughs> right. So no, if anybody's never seen it, they get two tickets out of Casablanca, which is a city in Morocco that's kind of like a stopover um, where Rick has this cafe, and um, it's interesting because. We're all examining media right now to see how it uses representation. Mm. And that city in Morocco, Mm. I'm just going to assume having not rewatched it in a couple years, that there's probably um, a little, some some brown face happening in that movie that's uncomfortable. But uh, the best character in the whole movie is Sam, played by Billy Wilson. Yeah, play it again. You must remember this. That was their song. And that Sam, of course, knows because he's worked with Rick for years. And uh, I like their relationship. And I fucking love Sam. Um, <laughs> but but um, it it was really nice to get this this callback, this beautiful love story that's about um, really she made the decision in this one, but in that movie, Ingrid Bergman wants to leave her husband, who's this activist, anti anti war, you know, anti Nazi guy, and uh, Victor Laszlo. He's a good man, but she loves Rick because she can't leave that place in Paris. And um, one of my favorite things that they say is in that movie is, "We'll always have Paris. We didn't have it, and we got it back last night. So they got Paris back." <laughs> you know? It's a beautiful movie. There's one bonus reference to Casablanca at the very end of the episode too. Did you catch it, Becca? The Blue Parrot Cafe? The Blue Parrot Cafe. Aha. You did. Nice. At the very end? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised now that I know that the writer's strike thing happened if this production team didn't want go like, oh, let's take Casablanca with time shenanigans in space. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, let me actually give credit to the writers because it was still largely written by two writers. Oh, sure. um, let me take, I believe there was, let's see. The story was originally pitched by Hannah Louise Shear and Deborah Dean Davis, two women, uh, who were given the job of developing the script. The writing of the episode suffered with the timing of the 1988 Writers Guild of America strike, and Shear and Davis completed the script in just five days to make that happen. The premise of the story was a combination of their idea about quote, about a professor whose work wasn't appreciated and had to go off on his own, and that, uh, end quote, and that of Maurice Hurley, who wanted a story with a time anomaly. So yes, you're kind of wow. right. They did mix them together. Uh, the final... That's all writing is. I love it. Taking two, two existing things and smashing them together. It's a mashup, baby. Yeah. 
so they um, Robert Legato, who I think was one of the producers and uh, or visual effects supervisor, okay, uh, and Rick Berman, they spent forty minutes on the telephone with Sheer during the strike, and she refused to write lines for them, but she did. Uh, they suggested dialogue, and she gave opinions, and they like wow. wrote hand notes to like make it work. And what so, a way to get around that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, she doesn't. She wants to stick with the union and like still stay on the strike, right. but she's like, but I still this is the show I want to support. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand the compromise she made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, totally. And like I said, I mean, I did like this episode overall. I thought I love time stuff, and I thought the romance was there. I like, I felt like it still was just kind of they like, glued so much of it together to make work. Yeah, because yeah. we we had mentioned before that they're trying to figure out this a plot b plot thing, and I think they tried to do it again in a, in a, a way that tried to combine the two. That yeah, it worked. I liked the episode a lot, mm-hmm. Me too. and and I I was never bored. It, that's one thing about this life; it was never dull. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. I fucking love this episode. (laughs) I don't know why. I found myself just crying, like not noticing, like, oh, Becca, don't cry. It was like literally just, oh, shit, there's tears on my face. (laughs) (laughs) I was so wrapped up in some of the acting in this episode. And really, really, I mean it. Michelle Phillips is an amazing actress. And I was just in love with it because... I guess I'm a sucker for romance, but when it's done well. Also, there was another shot of Picard physically framed in a love triangle, framed in between a couple, and uh, And once again, the third wheel. (laughs) (laughs) Like that other time in the holodeck in a jazz club. Becca, when we first started this endeavor of like watching through Star Trek, did you expect to cry as much as you have? Yes, because as I've been recently told by a therapist, crying is my superpower. Wow. So you're crying, girl. I was wondering who that was. (laughs) You know Moaning Myrtle? Makes bang robbers all just feel sympathy for her and they throw down their weapons. (laughs) Like, we can't hit her. She's crying. Uh, I'm crying, girl. Away. (laughs) By myself. No, that's great. I am a very emotionally available person. That's that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I do feel the weird need to sort of like hold it in or keep it together because I know that if I lose it, lose it, I won't be getting it back for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> for those of you that are emotionally available, I'm interested to see your reaction to this next episode, which I'm not sure will make you cry so much as maybe creep you out because the next mm. episode is Conspiracy. After Captain Picard receives a dark warning from an old friend, the Enterprise returns to Earth to stop an alien invasion from taking over Starfleet Command. What? Do I know what this is? Is this the villain I've been waiting for? I don't know. A mass entity that is in, uh, commands the mind of many beings? We'll have Hmm, to I suppose you'll have to find out. Yes, next week. Engage! Engage. Engage. <laughs>